0: Hey everybody, Larry Powell here, your host for Studio HFL. Welcome back. I've got a great interview coming up here in a couple of minutes, but first, uh, I'd like to tell you about the show sponsors. Now, I'm not promising anything, but I'm pretty sure you'll become the most popular musician on stage when you show up with one of the Messina Covers cases or bags. David Messina and Eric Howard are Messina Covers, and they produce some absolutely beautiful and functional cases and bags. And you should really check them out, all the options they offer, at messinacovers.net. Peter Pickett picked the perfect people to produce perfectly playable and pitch-perfect products. The picket line of custom and stock mouthpieces, and the Blackburn line of custom-built trumpets, will have you sounding great and looking good too if you carry them in a Messina Covers bag. Find out more about all that Peter and Eric Mureen have to offer by visiting picketblackburn.com. To stay current on what's going on with Studio HFL, you can follow me on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Studio HFL, and you can watch the live and pre-recorded interviews on the YouTube channel. And of course, while you're there, please go ahead and subscribe everything, I do mean everything, is better in HD. Just play a Hammond Design mouthpiece and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And to get the most of your HD experience, you should buy in bulk. I believe Carl has a pay for six, get six mouthpiece deal or three or ten, whatever. Check it out at carlhammondesign.com if you're enjoying this podcast i'd love it if you would take just a couple of minutes and go to apple podcast to leave a star rating and a review and doing so will help improve the visibility of this podcast and draw more listeners if you want an affordable alternative to bach and the yammies without sacrificing quality and sound then you need to check out the eastman line of trumpets i have my 824s b flat my 422 cornet and my 512 flugelhorn and i love all three of those horns And I will say, they also fit great into my Messina covers bag. Just saying. You can find out more, of course, at EastmanWinds.com. I'd love it if you'd visit the Studio HFL website and sign up for the weekly newsletter. While you're there, go ahead and visit the merch page and buy a Studio HFL shirt for yourself, and one as a gift for someone else. That is at StudioHFL.com. You know, it isn't just the Hobbits that like the Shires. In fact, Had Bilbo Baggins had an Essie Shires, he would have conquered Sauron in one movie instead of three. If you're going for that Middle Earth or a truly heavenly experience with a trumpet, then you need to check out both the Q series and the custom line of horns at EssieShires.com. You could own a horn that was made to rule them all. Messina covers. You know that feeling you get when your chops feel like they need saving? If only there were a product designed to save our chops. But not just any old lip balm is going to be a chop saver no it must be a carefully crafted concoction created by someone special someone who knows chops and how to save them and thankfully dan gosling is that person and he did create something to save our chops and he expertly chose the most obvious and appropriate name of ChopSaver. saver you can buy some from chopsaver.com and keep some in your messina covers case You know how you're on Instagram and all of a sudden Trent Austin pops up on screen with a trumpet and plays some ridiculous lick like it's nothing? Now, he doesn't do it very often, you know, maybe only twice a day, but it's killer. Austin Custom Brass are your place to find one of Trent's custom horns or to pick up a great horn that's there on a trade-in. Make it your biz to find out more at austincustombrass.biz. I'd like to invite you to become part of the Studio HFL community by going to Patreon and choosing from one of the four tiers of support. You can help to financially support the show for as little as $36 a year. That's only $3 a month. Benefits include exclusive access to interview excerpts, behind-the-scenes report, an invitation to be in the room with a guest during an interview, product discounts, and more. And of course, you can join the community of faithful supporters by visiting patreon.com slash studio HFL. Now, on with the interview. So here I am with uh, Reese Land, Professor of Trumpet at the University of Lowell, and welcome Reese to the podcast. It's great to be here. And uh, you and I have been colleagues and uh, section uh, buddies uh, in different places over the last few years. I've enjoyed getting to know you both as a, as a player and now as a, a teacher, and looking forward to what you can offer today, and uh, what I'd like to start out with is uh, tell me what you're currently doing, your position, both as a teacher and a player.
1: Okay, so, as you mentioned, I we're here at the University of Louisville, I'm the professor of trumpet here, so I have all the duties as related to classical trumpet here. Whereas we have a jazz instructor as well, Anson Banks, uh, who's just another a wonderful colleague who we often cross from time to time. Sometimes his students come here, sometimes my students go there to get lessons, insights from him, and he also plays in some of the classical groups here when when needed which is great because he's a very flexible player um my job here is the studio trumpet the trumpet ensemble um i also help with chamber music a little bit at occasion and i uh, teach trumpet history trumpet literature and uh, trumpet pedagogy those are the three that i three main classes that I have and that's a,
0: that's comprehensive because it's not just an undergraduate program you have undergrad and graduate level that's right
1: so undergraduate and graduate level uh, so most of those literature classes I just spoke of those are 500 level classes which are sometimes for a senior or of course an upper division or graduate students only so uh, but the studio we is very versus it's mostly it's a not a huge master's program here um, but we have a lot of majors the interest is growing we do have assistantships for uh, trumpet players here uh, which is great that's a really handy thing to have in the studio for their sake and for our sake Uh, the whole brass area utilizes those guys a lot so we do a lot of things with them the China ensemble of course is very busy very active we meet twice a week and we have uh, performance opportunities outside the university, inside the university, of course, competitions. We've we've done those in the past. Uh, we're going to try to do that again this year, um, since it's so close in Lexington, Kentucky, mm-hmm. which would be great. Um, but studio trumpet in this room is generally what I do. I'm in this room pretty much all day. Mm-hmm. Uh, my even my classes, my literature classes, are here. So also. I've got, I also teach historical brass. Uh, I've got, uh, I, it's a small program. We have uh, sackbutts and trumpets combined, but uh, we do have the instruments and we're growing with that. There's a lot of interest in that. And I actually recommend that all undergraduate trumpet players take that at least once within their time. So, and because every, every person that's ever taken it has enjoyed it. I haven't had one student that was like completely turned off to historical brass. We've got four really nice instruments um, that change all different keys so we, they learn all the, the ideas. All of them are three-hole instruments. Oh, right so there. you're not
0: talking just Civil War things, you're no, talking no, no. about well, uh, natural uh, trumpet. Uh, broke trumpet. trumpet. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, broke yeah. trumpet. We do have cornetos too, which I have still yet to master <clears throat> yet. But uh, the natural Baroque trumpet I've been playing quite a bit and I really
0: it's fascinating. Um now to be a natural trumpet, uh, You Bob, mean no holes at Bob all? Bob Barkley described it as the two hole method.
1: Oh the two hole right yeah. the
0: one that goes into the mouthpiece and the one that comes out the mouth. <laughs> that's right. That and that's And then anything after that is a Baroque trumpet. Baroque that's good. That's that's fabulous. He he's <laughs> he's
1: identified that for us clearly. Um, but yes we have most of the guys learn to play on uh, what we, I guess you call a broke instrument in that case mm-hmm. and um, we take them through real slow because they're just starting so we I, uh, the uh, Ed Tarr books are fabulous for that mm-hmm. John Foster's book's is really good for that too so we take them through very slow so they can learn the instruments. it's so basically another whole skill it's another whole skill set so mm-hmm. and that group also plays outside of here and in uh, ensembles here on campus, too, we have large brass ensemble concerts where we'll include that. Because you're not going to play an hour concert on that normally. You're just going right. to play a couple tunes just because they're getting used to the instruments for the first time.
0: Go after the trumpet ensemble. Is that a required ensemble for your studio? It's not
1: a required ensemble, but it's highly recommended. Sure <laughs> and usually I don't have any problem. Uh, the majority of folks take the class anyway, uh, with the exception of someone who has a class conflict conflict for mm-hmm. something there's one class that conflicts one of the two rehearsals and I often just let them in the group anyway and utilize them as I can mm-hmm. so uh, the ensemble is very active and we go through a tremendous amount of literature I may do a bar I usually do one large piece every year of, of varying difficulty and then I break it down into smaller groups of getting folks together at a similar uh, level so that they can learn from each other mm-hmm. and i uh, so it could be a four group, it could be a five-person group, it could be a 20-person group. Mm-hmm. So it depends on what we're doing. If we're playing at the KMEA uh, convention downtown, we're going to have a big group play, obviously, sure. for that. So it just depends. On uh, NTC, of course, it'll be a smaller group, mm-hmm. maybe a larger group, too. So Do you depends. use any
0: of these groups as uh, recruiting or outreach?
1: Uh, absolutely. We do go out to schools. Haven't done so much of that. We do that more with the quintets because mm-hmm. it's just a school uh, student availability problem Right, uh, they're just too busy especially for a music ed major just don't have time right. I, I have all their calendars I use utilize Google Calendar for my scheduling and my lessons so I can see exactly what they're doing they can see exactly what I'm doing so they'll know what they're actually getting into if they're thinking about doing this job because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people realize
0: how much work this really is Nobody understands (laughs) the job until they're in it. That's true. And they realize that uh, you have to fight to find your own practice time because the administrivia, which is a word I learned recently, is uh, (laughs) sometimes overwhelming. That's true. And uh, so now let's speak to this job. Mm -hmm. Sure. You filled some major shoes when you stepped into this position. Yes, I did. So
1: tragically... Both of my predecessors, there are only two. uh, Leon Raker, who was a legend in this region and was one of the ones that people studied with other than Herseth in this area, Um, he died tragically very rapidly. I think it was a brain aneurysm or something like this, died very quickly. Dr. Tunnel, Mike Tunnel, came in, who was one of his students, came in. uh uh, not even a year later i believe i'm still learning this i'm not a rapier student so Mm -hmm. i didn't move to louisville until uh, 1999. so he had been here for uh, mike had been here for many years and i never met leon rapier Uh, mike though filled the shoes and was here for many many years uh, two decades at least and then of course he died tragically of cancer i was a student of his i was his ta i knew a lot of folks here and yes i was extremely fortunate to get this job um my i think the main reasons for that were because my focus on students uh the teaching uh playing of course is always a part of it but it's not as a big of a thing as you think it's it's the teaching aspect here was very important and then um of course being able to play chamber music which i have enormous amount of experience with that. I was in a, a group uh, that was in Eastern Kentucky as a part of the NEA as a rural residency program, and we had a five-county region, and we played concerts, four concerts a day for years.
0: No kidding. Years. And... and uh, who's, anybody of note? That one
1: it, no one No one we know anymore. All the, all the guys are dispersed. All, Lorenzo Trujillo would be the only one. He's in the Persians' own. He was in the mm-hmm. final stages of the group. Uh, but everybody else was going on to other things. I'm the mm-hmm. only one that's really kind of still doing it. Mm-hmm. But that experience was amazing. Uh, playing concerts. Now, we didn't play the same concert. Obviously, we were changing music continuously. Uh, always upgrading our Ed show, which was a show basically about history in preparation for their liberal arts testing on the state Kentucky test, which used to require that. They don't anymore. Mm-hmm. So when that stopped, that program pretty much folded, and the funding from the NEA mm-hmm. program folded too. So I moved, we moved to Louisville. I got to know Mike real well. I became his TA. I'm going to come back and get my master's. That was after I got my bachelor's. That was about a six-year window before I got my master's between my bachelor's masters mm-hmm. so I came here um, got to know Mike real well played a lot of great things with him bought Louisville Box Society uh, Louisville Orchestra Some, it was great mm-hmm. um, and then I got after leaving to go get a doctorate in Illinois Champaign I immediately got the job at Southern Mississippi which ironically was his alma mater for his <laughs> DMA mm-hmm. I got the job there for a year I didn't have my DA DMA finished Took a year off, got it completed, got a job in Campbellsville University in the middle of the state, and I was there for eight years, tenured faculty. Mm-hmm. And now I've been, and then after Mike died, I was, like I say, fortunate to win this. I've been here, this is uh, this is my fifth year? I think so. Is it really five? I know. Wow. So, so no, it's in amazing. It flies. So time is flying. So, yes.
0: Let's talk about your uh, time with uh, Mike Tunnell. This is my fourth year. I said that wrong. Fourth year.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about his teaching style, mm-hmm. uh, what you focused on, your stage of playing yep. when you entered his studio, and uh, how he adapted his teaching to you, and then we're going to follow that into how you adapt that teaching now for these students that yep. you have. That's a great question. Um. When
1: I stepped foot on campus, I had not played a recital, a solo recital, in seven or eight years because I had been in the quintet. So I had an enormous amount of performance experience. And I had played solos with a quintet, but it's not quite the same, as you know. So I told him that. I said I'd like to do more solo recitals because I just need the experience—I'm missing a lot of literature. I've played a lot of things, but nothing like that. So we sat down the first lesson, and he created four recitals, the first lesson. We will do this, 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 and this. And your last one will be the the graduate recital. This will be the pieces that are on that. And that was pretty much the emphasis that I had here.
0: One per Uh, semester, right? One per semester.
1: So I did did a recital every semester, and I did one with my doctorate as well. I did the exact same thing. I did a recital every semester I was in school. With the exception of my bachelor's, I did just did two there. Mm-hmm. But for my master's, that'd be four. And for my doctorate, I did six. Uh, because I just knew that if I was going to do, make it at all, with that, uh, you know, you have to do that if you apply for a job. I actually wasn't looking to become a collegiate teacher at that time. It was in the time that I was in my master's degree. I, I was a student assistant, so I taught a lot of lessons. I'd always taught lessons. That was never the issue, but I learned a lot about the administrative parts of it. The what you have to do when you audition for a, a teaching job, and I knew the solo part of it was going to have to be addressed. So that was remarkable for me. Um, I did a lot of did a lot of literature. Oh my gosh, I never repeated anything. I, I constantly looking for the hardest things imaginable. Uh, some recitals were a little too hard. I learned a lot of lessons from that. It was the one I did, Molter two, Tomasi, the band Concerto, and um, what was the last thing? I don't remember.
0: But it and was, that was just the first half, right? Yeah, yeah well,
1: <laughs> and that, ironically, you mentioned that because Mike came back after intermission, after Tomasi, and how's it going? On? And I was like, well, is, is everything, it was fine. You know, it was just a it was heavy, heavy program. So I learned my lessons from that, and I played some really uh, uh, difficult twentieth-century lit. I did the Krill mm-hmm. on my graduate recital, for example, uh, Erickson's piece, which took you know a year and a half easily to learn that. Um, so there were a lot of really cool things. I, I had a very wide uh, variety of music on every program: piccolo, contemporary, unaccompanied, you name it. So.
0: Coming into his studio, your chops are in pretty good shape. Pretty strong. Right? Yeah. You're, and you're not looking to focus on, hey, uh, Professor Tunnel, I've got issues with this, this, or this. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're at the point to where you can just focus solely on literature. Literature.
1: Yeah, that's true. I didn't have too many major problems. I had, uh, uh, in between my bachelor's and master's degrees, I had several lessons with Arnold Jacobs, and that was life-changing. So fundamentally, I was pretty strong. Of course I had things I needed to work on, we all do. Um it wasn't always natural, but as far as what I was doing, I was playing so much that I had to have a certain level of fundamentals to do that. Um but there were things that needed to be honed and cleaned and um that was a that took some time and coming here those first couple of recitals were a lot of, I don't want to say, uh, muddy ground. It just wasn't wasn't solid. You know, I didn't I didn't feel, I didn't feel like I did when I walked in and did a quintet concert. Mm-hmm. You know, and it took a little while to kind of get used to that mm-hmm. being out there. You're it, kind of thing. And then, I, and after a while, of course, if it's something you're not good at, you just keep doing it. And eventually, it did get better. Uh, ensemble playing was never an issue. Uh, I, I always you know I don't know why the strength
0: and numbers thing I guess is just oh, kind yeah. of thing absolutely there's always safety in that uh, <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about these uh, heavily programmed recitals mm-hmm. you're learning things like pacing of course programming yeah what else um
1: style now I played a lot of styles in quintet but to play Tomasi is just a different animal. If you're playing the Botes of sonatine, that's you know that's got some similar similarities. But Tomasi, for example, or you know the um, what are the other big Jolivet. the Jolivet mm-hmm. pieces? If you're working on those those at Francais, for example, all those have a a definite thing about them. Mm-hmm. So that's something I had not been exposed to much. Mm-hmm. I had played Debussy a little bit in the orchestra you know a little closer but not really I mean compared to that which is first of all they're difficult Mm -hmm. hearing wise Mm -hmm. uh, logistics sometimes Mm -hmm. you know mute things just all kinds of issues that come up so I had to learn about that you know one of the first ones um, Hindemith I played a little bit of Hindemith for Mike in one of my first lessons and I was using way too much vibrato I mean, for example, he's like, whoa, 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 what, what is this? What, what, what are you doing? What do you mean, what am I doing? I'm just playing the Hindemith. I didn't really have a reference because I, I had not heard the Hindemith that much. I, I was, again, it's, it's music I wasn't that familiar with. Then I heard Tommy Stevens recording. I was, oh, okay, I mm-hmm. understand now. So it took me, you know, a semester or two just to turn what uh, Dr. Tunnel called the vibrator off. Turn, turn it off, man. What are you doing? So Because you don't use that in this music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. so I played the Hindemith on my final recital here, mm-hmm. and that was an accomplishment because it wasn't the fact that I couldn't play the piece. That was it was I could read the piece pretty much from sure. the beginning, but to play it where I felt or and where he felt it was right mm-hmm. stylistically closer to what Stevens and others. Uh, Stevens was one of our favorites, but yeah.
0: So there are so, a lot of pieces that are open to interpretation. Oh yeah. But there's yeah. extreme value in knowing what the expectations are really for pieces like the Hindemith, or to play uh, the French repertoire the way the French composers intended it to be played, and, and the sounds in their head as they're writing this. Sometimes
1: um, that's not addressed in today's world. It's just, and I think we have we owe it to the composer to try. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not saying I'm going to play it exactly like Maurice André. Mm-hmm. Uh, some things on his I don't like, mm-hmm. I, but and I would you, it's kind of like Mexican food. You know, we Americanize sure, yeah, it a little yeah, bit, that, that, so sure. we have to. There's certain things in it in an orchestral way. Sometimes I'll think that way in a piece. Mm-hmm. It just depends. It depends mm-hmm. on the moment. But yes, we're trying to get a something similar to what the composer intended. I think
0: now it have you taken a piece where you're like boy I really want to play it in the style I mean if you're convincing if you if you've got conviction with that and you are convincing in that delivery you see any issue with I
1: know, have no I have no problem with that I some of the ones that often get me are just like the old the older tunes like the hiding in the Hummel. you know so, well there's, this is a way to play it and then you listen to somebody play it on for example an instrument was written for and then all, oh, that's mm-hmm. different. It's kind of like the Baroque trumpet, yeah, exactly, too. Exactly, right? <laughs> so you play the Baroque, you've, if you ever play the Telemann D Major on the Baroque trumpet, for example, Telemann uh-huh. Concerto D, you will change the way you play that when you try that on a Baroque. Instrument. Because the color is so different. It's so different. different. And the articulation, because mm-hmm. the, the piccolo, of course, is just going to go. I mean, it's, just, it's ready to go. It's made to be easier. Mm-hmm. It is easier. I love the piccolo trumpet. And that's why it was so hard for me to, to grasp this Baroque thing. Mm-hmm. But then when I started to really kind of study it and understand it and hear the sounds that all these great artists are making now, I'm like, wow, there's definitely something. And so when I play piccolo now, especially a special piece like that, I hear that sound. Mm-hmm. And it's not always easy to make it, Sure. but at least I have a, a something in mind. I am a person who definitely works in products. That's something I learned from Mr. Jacobs. Okay, I don't think about the how too much. Mm -hmm. I think about what it is I'm trying to achieve. This is a, a, if you have to have one driving force for my teaching, that is it right there. I'm, the human body works in products. If I want to pick this mute up off my stand, I'm not thinking about the muscles that I'm Mm -hmm. doing to do that. I'm not saying we don't address the muscles, but that is a very minimal it's a minimal thing, and there are certain things for younger students that have to be right. But as far as uh, what drives my teaching, it's that right there. It's it's product. So if, if I'm thinking about Hennemith or Tomasi or who, whatever I have to do, I listen to the
0: piece. I think Jethroitz had the same focus, was know the sound you're after, and the body will find a way to create that. Yep. Rather than thinking about this muscle is going to be this this and that's going to generate this end result and there there are people who end up uh paralysis by analysis correct so i, I love that idea and and if i'm thinking now of chickowitz of course in jacobs were problems, oh yeah, yeah but uh, very close studied with jacob of course
1: i think everybody did in a even in a uh, well, non-direct way, <laughs> exactly. yeah. but but uh, I've tried it. Where it's, I've done the whole physical thing because I had a lot of problems, uh, especially in the early part of my undergraduate.
0: I'm but, so glad to hear that. And yeah, that's, a lot uh, of problems. You're okay talking about?
1: That? I'm totally open okay. to talking about that because that was what. But I had a I have an enormous amount of determination, which you have to. Mm-hmm. Um. I come from I'm a farm I was raised as a farmer an electrician so I the worth ethic was never the issue mm-hmm. that was not a problem I was raised in a way that was fabulous for that and of course trumpet when you're doing you're sitting in an air-conditioned room most of the time so I mean really how hard is it really sure even when you're doing the hardest thing imaginable it's physically not I mean yeah some people so it's well, physically very difficult Right. You ever tried digging potatoes? <laughs> so in my but, point.
0: <laughs> potato, pork, right? Not, not. Yo, I'm not talking
1: about a machine. I'm talking about a shovel, man. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, but anyway, um, so that part of it, the, the part of, and I, and I was a very physical player in the beginning and Mr. Jacobs, of course, cleared up, a, cleared up a lot of these things. Uh, my teacher, my early high school teacher was a student of his his name's Tim Phillips, he lives in North Carolina and he got me on the right track I was so, my chops were just a disaster I mean, I played way off the side of my face, I mean, constantly swollen, busted, had no I'd have range, but only at the 5F range you know, that was what I had, and you know, I loved it, it was definitely a part of my soul, I had no interest in any other instruments, maybe the keyboards at one point, but the um, trumpet was always my thing. It was it was just there from the moment I picked it up. So, but the problems existed. And then Mr. Jacobs, like I say, he showed me basically what the armchair's for, how it works, what we should think about. Uh, definitely a lot about how to use our air. Um, but that's a funny thing is that while all that was important, there was still that, Whole concept of product, Mm -hmm. and I remember I've got to tell this my first lesson. I was twenty years old, Mm nineteen. I walked into his studio. The guy before me was from, I think, somewhere in Europe, and the guy after me was was the same. I was somebody from the Netherlands or Germany or someone. So I hear I'm this kid. I'm walking in this place. It's twelve foot ceilings. Everybody in the whole hallway can hear everything you're doing. I'm scared to death I mean I've never, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been to a major city in my life I've never been to a yeah. major city in my life I grew up in rural North Carolina you know I'm, I'm aghast at just what I'm seeing you know so I start playing he could tell right away he stops me slaps me on the leg just like that and he goes listen the guy before you is from here the guy after you is from here no one knows who's in this room right now. So what I want you to do is make them think that it's one of these really good players. That's what he said to me. Changed my life forever. And, and after that, I, I just kind of was, it was a realization, he's right. But you see, you're young and inexperienced, you don't know, and you're talking to the brass god of our time. He's sitting here and he's talking to me like he's my grandfather and in a lot of ways he still is you know his voice I still hear it but that changed my life he showed me he hooked me all, all the machines he showed me some things about vibration that were very important this is the things you should focus on but only this much hmm. and then and then he, then he said I don't know how many times in, a, in the uh, lesson he said play it like hers with play it. he said that several times play hmm. it like Mr. Hurses would play it. and of course I was going to see Hurses that night first yeah. time I'd ever Done that before. I heard recordings, but I had never, I mean, the experience of Chicago Symphony live. So that was uh, a very large, very wide learning curve, mm-hmm. okay, in those months. Ironically, on the way to see Mr. Jacobs, I had a lesson with Vince DiMartino, the first time I'd met him. Mm-hmm. So I'm bombarded with stuff in that month. It took literally years to process sure. the information that they gave us. And I had it written down, and I took it home and that's that's how I got me there mm-hmm. uh, by the time I was a junior senior, I was really starting to really make some good progress really and then after that, I went to work i didn't I didn't get a job immediately. I uh worked for my dad's electrician and played gigs with a quintet and um I really started working with the Arban uh Have you ever heard of the Prescott outline for the Arban it's a twelve year outline for the Arban. Mm-hmm and my teacher giving given me that in high school and I just started checking them off I, I started I would do 30 minutes before I went to work and I'd do it in the evening and then have rehearsal or some kind I played with the orchestra played with the quintet I didn't do any solos I was just trying to get my playing up mm-hmm. and then I started to get called uh, Charleston Symphony played with them a little bit um, played in Western Piedmont Asheville uh, a little bit and their chamber groups and mm-hmm. such so it was a it was a really good time and then I won the job of the quintet right after that so I'm sorry I'm running around no it's all but, great
0: it's great uh,
1: but that I just wanted the Jacobs thing was a huge thing now
0: something so was he was I, he the one that affected your uh, your embouchure not your embouchure change but your mouthpiece. yeah everything, everything
1: just the whole f- how you play the trumpet that he mm-hmm. was the one who did it now everybody after that uh, I don't know if anybody's really ever addressed that since to be honest well, maybe he fixed it right then and there. Well, I think so, because it was just how it was blowing, how it was moving the air, mm-hmm. and everything just kind of went in alignment. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? And then, of course, there were things about centering I learned from a lot of people. Uh, Mike Sachs came here when I was in school, and I had a great lesson with him. Uh, Bob Sullivan was fantastic. Um, uh, of course, Mike Ewald, my teacher at Illinois, uh, and Ronnie, Ronnie Ron. Mm-hmm. And then Mike. Mike and all these guys... They all had something different to give me. I've not gotten everything from one person, but as far as a major guide, the stuff that Jacobs told me was was the guide. The reason that I like his stuff, and all those guys studied with him, um, the reason I liked him the most is because the way he talked to me in those lessons, I had like four lessons with him, was um, how I want to teach my students. Because I I like... and, And my guy... and. My teachers do that too, but, but Jacobs was definitely one of the best teachers ever, just from the point of view that he's so simple. It's so unbelievably simple. And I liked it because I like, I'm simple, okay? And I like to keep it that way because I know everything, you, we've all played, Larry, you've played everything there is on the trumpet on stage. And we can't be doing, thinking about how we're doing it when we're out there or you're just going to, something's going to go wrong or it has the potential to go wrong. So we have to keep our mind really clear about what we want to do. Now, that is a very loaded statement that I just said right there. Because people, that's the part that I think a lot of times is where the disconnect happens. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're going to sing or play pitch and exhibition, you need to be able to hear that. Now, I'm not just saying the notes. You got to be able to hear everything. Mm-hmm. You need to hear the articulation. Mm-hmm. You got to hear what's going on when the orchestra finally does come in. You need to hear, uh, into obviously, intonation. Are you in tune with yourself? Because it's all you, buddy. Um, you need to look and kind of expect what the conductor's going to do. That's a visual thing, but it's also you can see that before you even start playing it mm-hmm. um you need to know of course the sound color that you want you need there's just so many things there's so many facets of that the pitch is really that's just one thing so if you if, I have my guys in here if they sing if they want to play pictures I have them sing it because mm-hmm. that's one we should all hear mm-hmm. and it's remarkable the notes they miss are the ones they miss singing it. Mm-hmm. The 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 way they sing it stylistically, mm-hmm. that's the way they play it on the trumpet. It is remarkable the connections that are there. The articulations you sing, it's there. Exactly, it's there. It's remarkable. I I I know that now because of all the students that have been in here and I it's it's so I ha, I don't change the 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 physicality of how they're playing. No 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 did you just hear what you just did do you hear how you just sing this because i record a lot in here Mm -hmm. uh not as much video but i've been doing a little bit of that Mm -hmm. because i want to just if it's something they need to see sure um that's that's a big one now
0: welcome to the middle of the episode just a reminder that this podcast is brought to you with the support of messina covers they offer some standard and custom designs of trumpet bags, mouthpiece pouches, and more. And their customer service is excellent. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And now, back to the interview.
1: Vance is another huge influence on me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always admired his plane from what I'm saying is his ability to do so many things. His toolboxes. Ridiculous. I mean, we know this. I'm, never mind the jazz. I'm just talking about to be able to do what he does mm-hmm. is remarkable. Mm-hmm. And I've learned a lot about things from him. Think little tricks, antidotes, um, concepts that really make playing the trumpet easier. Mm-hmm. Um, that I want to say on record because all these guys have all given me things. I mean, Doctor Tunnel was definitely the singing. He was real big about singing into the trumpet. That was a big one. Mike Ewa was a nuts and bolts guy. I mean, no fundamentals on this earth were better than this guy. I'm telling you, you sit beside him and you listen to him in the orchestra, it was true. Anybody that was there can tell you it's just truly sounding. The guy just looked like he was doing nothing all the time. Mm -hmm. Ronnie Rahm, it's all about music to this guy.
0: And that's interesting, too, because he was a Jimmy Stamp student. And, you know, when you think of the, about that, a lot of people think, well, that's all about buzzing and the stand-up. Yeah. But the he end does result it. is still...
1: His musicality, musicality.
0: is And if that unreal. wasn't apparent in, and still isn't apparent in the fact that he's one of the most lyrical oh, players.
1: he plays so musically. And in a group, his the ear with the group is remarkable. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, I, I was fortunate to have that background uh, when I went to try out there, they had me play the Ewald. I'd never met him. They he said, knew who he "I knew he Oh yeah, I'd seen him a couple times, and I was just in shock what I'd seen. Mm-hmm. And then he said, "Do you mind if I play second to you on the Ewald?" <laughs> what do you, you can't see my face, but yeah, it was truly awesome. He he was on me, you know, just incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course stage things he taught me a lot about the stage he helped me so much in that aspect of my mm-hmm. soul that was a, an area of my solo plan I needed help with because you know I just walk out and play the piece that is not in his head at all mm-hmm. his head is all about everything you are the show even when you're not playing everything was about that
0: I remember him he, he was uh, doing a master class for me up at the University of Indianapolis and he talked about Everything on stage is planned and rehearsed. That's right. And he made a, a point of saying, even how I stand yep. when it's a piano solo, or even when I how I stand when it was uh Chuck Dallenbach was was taking the, the stage uh with the Canadian grass, everything I do, and so being hyper-aware of all of that is what makes him look so comfortable. And a lot of people were asking him questions, well, you know, doesn't that You know, make you stiff, doesn't, you know, all this thing to where he's, you know, if you rehearse it well enough, that's right. It's going to look natural. It's
1: very natural Mm to him. He talked about how he got to that. It was with Canadian. Mm -hmm. Uh, They would actually have a choreographer come in. I mean, we learned so many really neat things from him. Ronnie Rahm, of course, was a great influence. Uh, Learned a lot from him on the stage. And then, um, when I moved back to Kentucky, I got to know Vince even more. We started collaborating on several different projects together. Of course, Campbellsville was real close to Danville. So when I was working on something, if I did, for example, uh, Campbellsville I did the whole two-suite. And I knew, I mean, mm-hmm. Dr. Tunnel, my, and Mike Wall, and Ronnie are all great players, but they're not going to be playing that piece. They're just not going to do that. That's just not them. That's not who they...
0: Well, not in its entirety, right? No.
1: I did the whole album. That was my recital. Mm -hmm. And I knew one person close that would. So, of course, I went over there to see him, and he showed me a few things that made that tremendously easier to play. It wasn't anything complicated. Mm -hmm. It was just a simple, try this. Oh. So, I learned a lot of little things from him over the years that... For that kind of playing, because I was doing a lot of commercial playing as well. I play in big bands, play lead in there, play third, whatever. I don't do a lot of jazz, but the thing was is that I knew that style and I knew the demands that sometimes it has. In the orchestra and Bowling Green, of course, you know I'm uh, down there. I'm second trumpet, but I play lead occasion when the lead player, Dan Castine doesn't want to play mm-hmm. the stuff. So I have a lot of experience playing in rock bands and big bands and stuff and I would bring that into there no problem. But those programs can be pretty demanding as you know. Yeah. Um, and that's one topic we should talk about a little bit the things that new players really ought to have.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, events, you see that's his that's his backyard. That's what he does. Mm-hmm. And not only that he can do it at a moment's notice. I mean you, you'll talk to the guy he played the Brandenburg for you or he can play, you know, something West Side Story or something, whatever. Right. It's not a problem. He yeah. just switches. See, that's the kind of trumpet player I want to be. That's mm-hmm. the kind of trumpet I am. So we, and I trained that way, to be able to play a recital, to be able to play chamber group, to be able, whatever. It's just right. not, it's just a trumpet. That was one thing Mike Ewald said a lot, too, was that the trumpet's a trumpet. And how we practice the trumpet, our fundamentals, it's all the same. It's all the same there there are four or five things that you just have to do I have to do every day I do it very early in the morning um, it's a part of my day I, I do f- what bud says I'd usually try to do at least three 45 minute sessions every day 45 I'll do a stopwatch too because 45 minutes it didn't matter what I'm doing I'm stopping mm-hmm. because I know that that's all I need Plus, I want to stay fresh for the program. Now, obviously, programs are going to be longer than 45 minutes. That's not the point. I can play longer than 45 minutes, but a practice session, because I'm such a, and you probably understand this, I just love the trumpet so much that I just want to keep going, especially when it's going really well. And, and you end up
0: reading the entire
1: oh, YouTube, Yeah, then and then, then you're <laughs> like, oh, and then the next days right. or the next two hours is pretty rough. Right. So I've learned a lot of lessons that way. I, I definitely time my, my time. 45 minutes is a good amount of time. Uh, especially with a full-time job and two kids Mm -hmm. and so and and spending time with my wife and stuff but we i I find that that's all i need to get my i can do everything i need to do in that 45 minutes everything that we everything that we know now methods that i use i use lots of things um it's never really been a, a specific method i have done obviously arvin and the 12-year system, I'm on the second run of that, I usually do that. I can do 20 minutes or of the of the outline uh, of what's required for that mm-hmm. time pretty quickly. Uh, I, I'm i very open-minded about what I use. I use a lot of different books for flexibility, for example.
0: Um,
1: I really like Scott Belk's book right now.
0: Yeah, and there's a new one coming out.
1: I just saw that, <laughs> and I, I saw him at the conference, and mm-hmm. I, he told mm-hmm. me about it. And I said, well, I'll be looking for that. Um there's a lot of great because you know we have to be You can't just get into a I don't know what you call it the grind, the millstone well, of one well, exercise. Too many people
0: think that a routine is a rut.
1: Yeah, you know, and it shouldn't but be. You can have a routine be.
0: where you address all the elements you need to address. To be over a different repertoire. That's right. And I think that's that's where you're getting to right now. I, it's I, like it could be Belk one day, Colin the next day. Uh, Walter Smith, there's a mm-hmm.
1: hundred of them. I mean, really, it's not an issue. Baylin, I mean, Baylin, that's a hard book. If you can play the first section of that book without missing anything, you've done something and mm-hmm. sound great. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of them, for that matter. Um, but I have a series of books that I use for uh, articulation. I have a series of books that I use for transposition, which could be any book, really. Mm-hmm. But all of those there's a certain way that the trumpet has to work and this is where i do with with Vinny, i there's one thing he says all the time the trumpet is a tool mm-hmm. he says that all the time he's right the trumpet is a tool for our expression the musical instrument is our brain mm. the, in, the, the instrument is a tool now with that in mind what he's saying with that in my opinion is that there are certain things that have to happen to make that thing work Okay. It's probably things that you and I don't think about too much now, but for a younger student, we have to address that a little bit. The product, of course, still in that in that mind, what you want to do, how you want to do it, is not necessarily the most important thing. It's what do you want? What do you want? So with all these books I have, that's, that's the, the driving force. Um, will your single tongue get faster? Now, hopefully. <laughs> you know, your double tongue gets smoother or or however you wish it to be. Mm-hmm. Yes. Will your range increase? Yeah. I mean, and there's a lot of things. Um, my range development probably just happened because I had to do it. It wasn't because I practiced it. Were there things that helped with that? Yeah, sure. The fifth study of the Clark book, that's a great one. That's a good one to get focus, you know, in, in range. Mm-hmm. Uh, playing real soft in the high register. I'm not doing it with so much force. Mm-hmm. Um, which is something a lot of people do and I think there's an equilibrium it just has to be there though, um, and that's something that Vince talks about a lot I I really admire that and I use it mm-hmm. when I see it, it's who oh, that's not quite right we need to make an adjustment here mm-hmm. and here's what you need to do keep it simple uh, make the statements real you know not long just a couple words do this mm-hmm. that's Mr. Jacobs would say yeah. Vince won't give you that though he'll give you the long answer you know <laughs> <laughs> here's what I like about it. it's still Vince. simple <laughs> Vince
0: can not only play everything in front of him but he knows how to explain musically that's right. the approach and then he also knows how to explain in really clear terminology the physiology that's right uh, behind everything and I think and then he's just such a nice guy he's super so, he's like the complete package. He really is. For all of this. He uh, is good and, and I think uh, just the enthusiasm for music, period, is, is unreal. And, uh, okay, so uh, what I'm hearing is uh, you had a very different experience as a learner than you did as a teacher. But you're taking every, because when you showed up for your master's and doctorate, mm-hmm. you had things in... In pretty good working order. Mm-hmm. You're now having students come in who are not oh yeah at that level. That's right. But you're using Arnold Jacobs and mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, who'd you, who who were you with in Illinois?
1: Uh, Mike Ewald, Ewald, uh, and Ron. Mm-hmm. And and Mike Jenning Tunnel, And Tunnel. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. All of those you you see all of them being channeled into your Absolutely. teaching
1: methods. I am not a narrow-minded when it comes that way mm-hmm. um you know i use i like Adam techniques i've in the last five or six years there's things about the Adam that i love mm-hmm. I, there and there a lot of similarities to mr jacobs mm-hmm. i've talked to dr banks about this here in the studio he's a big Adam student mm-hmm. and i've totally included some of the things he showed me I'd love it uh, I'll see him do when he warms up I'm like what are you doing you know I, I'm I'm intuitive as far as that goes I think it's it's very important again to remain open minded about about that and you'll know what what doesn't work mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. we all know that no it doesn't quite get it there may be one aspect of something that doesn't work that you may keep for example I'll give you one um Endurance is a big, often in the minds of trumpet players. I do something with endurance. I, I don't do Caruso. I did that for years. I've done the breathing gym. I did uh, the breathing gym every day for two years
0: mm.
1: just to give it, you know, I want to be sure that there are things about that I still use. Mm-hmm. Uh, Caruso, back to that. One of the things that I liked about Caruso was stabilizing things because like people can't hold long tones mm. for the amount of time they often need to. Or they just lose strength by the end of the evening. Um I'll do a whole exercise where I'll leave the horn on my face. I won't take it off and I don't breathe through my nose. Mm-hmm. I'll even talk to you. Right. But I'll leave it on my face. Mm-hmm. Cause see, most trumpet players wanna do anything they can to get this trumpet off their face. Which understandably in mm-hmm. times you need to. Absolutely. But um but I leave it on my face and I'll do like a whole not a whole routine, but like a set of exercises. Mm-hmm. For example, if I do my long tones, I'll do the, int- I'll rest in between a long tone, for sure. I'll take, i am doing a long tone in four beats if I'm working with a drone, whatever. I always have a metronome running. But I'll leave it on my face. Mm-hmm. I'll talk to you. Somebody calls me on the phone. I may even talk to them like this, with it on my face, you see? <laughs> but but Or if somebody call, knocks on the door. But I, I'm i not, it's going to stay on my face sure. until I'm done with that exercise. Mm-hmm. I found a tremendous benefit with mm-hmm. that right there. I think it's something about how we relax when we take the horn off our face mm-hmm. and you can relax it with it on your face too. Mm-hmm. That's what's kind of, anyway, I'm just, that's no, this one little thing that i found some pretty cool
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, benefits from, from my students
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, because playing 1A2 for example, you play Arvin 1 characteristic mm-hmm. study
0: it doesn't I mean, come off your face. No,
1: and not many people can do it. Um, I can play four or five. Mm-hmm. I'd probably play all twelve if I pushed myself. But mm-hmm. I, I'm just—I'm not thinking about endurance, you see, mm-hmm. because I've done that in my fundamental warm-up. Sure. So it's there.
0: Um. Well, so and, and I usually think of endurance as endurance through efficiency. Absolutely. So when it's when not a about weightlifting. That's a true. Sure, a comes to me saying, I want to work on range and endurance, which those are two. <laughs> yeah, right always comes right. up. <laughs> and, and they don't expect that the answer for range, first of all, is going to include, well, let's. how's your pedal register? Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely.
0: But, you know, I, I try to explain endurance as, look, it's not about playing everything you can for six hours a day. That's right. It's learning how to play everything as efficiently as possible. And endurance. I mean, if you're an efficient player and you simply move the air through the horn the right way, you're, you're going to get mentally tired and fatigue. Oh yeah, long before you're physically going to be worn out. I agree. I agree. With and that. you know, that's uh, that's something I think I learned uh, by. Just experiencing it. Oh, so I gotta find a better way. <laughs> oh yeah! I gotta find a better way to make it through whatever gig yeah. or whatever piece. And you know, it's now. You know, everything I think about is, is how efficient can I be in this? That's right. Now, I want to ask you. Mm. Um, to me, I look at somebody like Sergei. And mm. out, wow! As the one of the most efficient. Oh, this Absolutely. Wow. And I love the watching him play because mm-hmm. i mean first of all everything he plays i hear it and mm-hmm. i'm moved by it and I'm impressed super and musical player. inspired yeah uh because of him i learned to circular breathe wow you know now i'm not as as good at it yet as he is wow. but that's great but i watch him play and also watching him taught me it. Uh, oh, so maybe that's how now i don't point my horn uh, at <laughs> the angle, angle sure but his posture is so relaxed, and I'm thinking, well, that's how another reason he can move the air the way he moves. That's his air. right. And that's right. And I think there's there's that visual aspect that we can use to learn as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's my two cents worth on that. But I'm curious uh, now. That makes me think: who we've talked about teachers that mm-hmm. inspired you and, and and moved you forward. What about players? Who do you okay? That's who do you listen to and and
1: all right and push so. towards other. I was given. I was given a. Uh, my teacher gave me a cassette tape of Doc severson Yes, cassette tape. Um, Reese, what is yeah. a cassette tape?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: gave me a cassette tape of Saverson playing uh, Rhapsody for that album, Rhapsody. Mm. And uh, I wore that tape out. I still. I have that record signed by him. Is one of my prized possessions because that was what I started with. I actually broke that tape. I listened to it so much. <laughs> Severinson, Maurice Andre, Doc Severson, and Bud Herseth were my four idols. And I didn't have a lot of money, but I traveled every place. I have drive to Charlotte, which was a two hour drive, to go get a cassette tape mm-hmm. of these guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't buy records much. Um, and CDs I didn't get as a matter of fact the first CD I ever owned was Doc Severinsen's album mm-hmm. Cincinnati Pops that was the first one he signed it for me oh. just recently and um, but I had I heard all the other stuff Well, before that of course it was just truly remarkable Maynard albums I, I did see Maynard live several times that was truly life changing mm-hmm. I was a, I was into range a lot I just liked what I heard I mean and those guys could do it so easy and then um, Herseth, of course, seeing him, that, you know, we didn't have videotapes of him even mm-hmm. really back then. Mm-hmm. I'd heard a tremendous amount of recordings. And you can just tell what he looked like when you heard him play it. I mean, it's just so easy. Mm-hmm. It just sounds so good, you know. So that, and then, of course, Phil Smith came along later. That was another big one for me. Uh very inspirational play. But Maurice Andre, as far as piccolo playing, you know, regardless if it's stylistically correct or not, was just it for me. Mm-hmm. And I played a lot of piccolo, did a tremendous amount of weddings. Mm-hmm. That would be the one time I guess I did do a lot of solos. But but it was all else the same literature, basically. And, and man, it just changed my life. I mean... And then, I, of course, I heard he's hiding in Hummel, and that was truly remarkable mm-hmm. contemporary stuff I didn't even know he did until I got into school uh, and I was like wow that's really pretty amazing mm-hmm. I found a Tomasi record in France that I bought for Mike Tunnel and I gave it to the studio I still have it over there mm-hmm. uh, of him doing Tomasi mm-hmm. and it's great I mean it's hard you can find it on YouTube now of course but but I spent all my extra money on buying recordings I have probably 3,000 CDs uh, I don't know how many records so I just how many
0: things have we had to buy oh. that are now accessible yeah. on the internet, free of charge, and our students still can't find the time <laughs> to I know. go and listen. Because all of these vintage recordings, Rafael Mendez oh yeah videos hey. yeah. of him great talking and playing, or uh, Al Hurt Oh, yeah. Uh, Old so recordings many. of uh, Clark Terry. And 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 now, of course, you've got Tina Helseth and yeah. uh, Allison, Allison Balsam. Allison uh And yeah. who's the cornet guy? I'm, I'm just... Oh, Olay uh, Edvarden. Olay Who's just, just phenomenal. And all these great players really at our fingertips.
1: All the time. I mean, yeah. we pull it up and, and it just wasn't... That was something... In some ways, I think it's almost better the way we had it before because when I had one recording, I wore it out. I mean, I listened intently, you know, and I I picked up specific things that I really I could to oh, hear. It. And then I record myself and compare mm-hmm. the two and, you know, obviously there's ways to go, but but it was just always I could hear myself going in that direction, which mm-hmm. is something I, that's why I like to record with my, with my students, too. Mm-hmm. Because they need to hear where they're starting at and where they, you know, are they getting closer? Sure. sure they need to be. Sure. Um, yeah, recordings, history, I mean, those four guys were definitely the ones that, that led me where I'm mm-hmm. going to be. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Um, they were my teachers in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. Sure. And then, of course, sitting beside someone, like Mike Ewell, for example, you sit beside someone like that in the orchestra and you understand rehearsals. Mm-hmm. Because you're talking about mannerisms. I learned, I mean, he was so, he just picked that trumpet up he's mm-hmm. so still. And yet it was just like anything, I mean, come out that he wanted at his command mm-hmm. all the time. The softest thing. One of the ones I really remember, we did Carmina Barano together once. And there's that one lick he played the high lick on piccolo. He played, you know, whatever it was after that. And then you kind of come in on that A, really, really quiet with the trombone in unison or in octaves, whatever, and really quiet. He put that piccolo down and he picked up that C trumpet he played that note and it was just like, I mean, it was, it was flawless. It wasn't just flawless, it was pristine. You know, it was, it was one
0: note. It was enough that you noticed it. Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, well, it was more than that. Because mm-hmm. I know what he was doing previous, mm-hmm. and it wasn't even the horn switch. That doesn't that kind of thing that's bottom of me, I didn't quintet so long. It was just his mind, you could tell, was leading that charge. Mm-hmm. He knew exactly what he had to do, and he did it. It just, boom, it was there. Just truly remarkable.
0: You know, as you're describing that, the, the biathlete, uh, started going through my head. You know, they, they cross-country ski, they have to stop, and then completely change their focus, Yeah. physically bring their body under control, and hit the bullseye. Boom. And then they're up and getting their heart rate back up. You know, and that, I think, might be a good oh, yeah. analogy to that sort of thing, the ability to Just, uh, go from one extreme to the other. So know, right? remarkable. I learned a lot from him my way so you know it, your enthusiasm if that hasn't come through <laughs> your enthusiasm for not just uh, trumpet but music if that hasn't come through uh, today uh, I think we've missed something um, tell me something and obviously you do enjoy music tell me something uh, that you're trying to better yourself at now I and mean, is there a specific technique extended technique is there a specific uh, genre that you're looking to do i mean you're very you're, good question you're still growing we all are as oh players.
1: yeah i'm uh and that was the other thing i was going to mention actually i you brought that up I'm, I'll, I'll answer your question as well but um about remaining open-minded i've read several books about learning a lot of really good books one of the ones five or six years ago was mindset Mindset is a great book. It's about closed mind, open mind. Uh, I keep is it, what you call it, growth mindset. That's an open mind. Um, that's the reason I'm still here. Mm-hmm. That's the reason Vinny's still playing at his young age. And Severance, this guy, he's 90 years old. He came in here and played this great concert. I mean, mm-hmm. just, you know, I think that's the key. Is that don't ever think you're there mm-hmm. and be willing to grow I have swallowed my pride in this last. I'm working on a real difficult program here coming up in September, and um, I'm working on this Willich concerto for trumpet five players. It's not easy, but it's not the chop problem; it's a hearing thing. Right. And I again. I'm going to say it out loud. I have swallowed my pride, and I have been singing that piece. I have been singing it. I've been working on that because um, I'm just you know, not just to be accurate, but just try to be more in, in, inside you. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, just to really know it, really, really know what's going on. Cause it's, it's not just a piano and a trumpet piece. It's with you know, some really great players I've got here in the faculty um, that they're going to play along with but it's just, I've been really wanting to do that more and, and I've, Found some remarkable results from just singing the piece out loud. Mm-hmm. Truly. I mean, because, you know, we, we, oh, yeah, I pray, I'll hear practicing. Listening to it, yeah, I listened to it for six months. And then I started singing it. Boy, howdy, that was a complete change of what was required. Mm-hmm. I found myself, when I played the trumpet, then it's like I'm singing the trumpet. Does that make sense? I, it sure I, does. I, because s- you're using
0: the trumpet as a tool. I'm using the trumpet as a tool. Like you tool. said earlier, yeah. your, your mind, your brain is... Yeah. How did you, how did you phrase that specifically? Oh, I mean, is that...
1: well, your brain is, is, is running the show. It's driving the, the instrument. So yeah. it, 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 it knows exactly what to do by what I'm telling it mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying I don't play by feel a little bit. Everybody's going to do that. You're trying sure. to play her. I mean you're putting these knives up to our face every day and grinding our teeth. Come on, let's, let's be real. Uh, The things that I did with Vince helped me with that part of it. But the drive, and Vince will tell you about hearing too, Mm -hmm. and I'm still yet to ask him about that uh, a little more because I've got more questions. So he gave gave me a lot of answers recently, and I've got some more. Uh, But I'm finding that if I just do simple exercises of sight singing, I do 30 minutes at least of sight singing of just something unrelated every day, I'm finding that it's having my trumpet playing missing because I'm noticing what I'm hearing a little bit more. It's not that I didn't hear it. Mm-hmm. It's just that I didn't super clarify it. I'm talking down to the, to the, to the razor sharp edge. Um, but that's been truly remarkable. I did a little bit of reading about this and, and you know that Herseth, and Vacchiano, and Voison, they all studied. And those are really remarkable trumpet players. I mean, Jacobs told me that Herseth would miss a note every three years. It wasn't just that; it was just that he would play so musically connected to the piece yeah. all the time. Um, all those guys were involved at one point or another with a guy named George Magier. You probably heard of this guy. Yeah. George Magier was in the Paris Conservatory. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the renowned uh, classes that they have for sight singing and solfege in those classes. Brass players weren't allowed in those classes was a violist he studied with those guys and he was in those classes now I'm sorry there's something to this mm-hmm. there's a reason why his students are have the top three mm-hmm. major jobs or one of the major jobs sure. in the United States there's yeah. a reason for that sure. Vacchiano, I mean come on I mean, all these guys, their ear is truly remarkable. I've noticed this when I go to Ecuador with my wife, the kids there, they study Mm soulfish. They may learn three notes, only three notes, do-re-mi, but on fixed-do, of course, Mm -hmm. for a whole year. But they know those notes. Sure. Now, that's something that we just don't push here. Mm-hmm. Sight singing is a part of training, part of theory. It's you know, a part of
0: a class. On my way down here this morning, I was listening to a podcast, uh, Brass Junkies, and they were interviewing uh, Rachel Rodriguez. Oh, my. And there's a statement that she made that I thought, uh, first of all, I fully agreed with it, but I thought more people need to hear this. And she says, we've got to change the state of music music education. And it's I true. Think that that thing now that you're also mentioning uh, speaks to that. I think if, if we address those kinds of things early on and we do a better job of ear training oh. early on, it's going to make it so much more rewarding well, for the student along the way. If, you, if you're if
1: you an undergraduate, you take ear training with your theory class. You mean sight screaming? S- <laughs> right? Woo! <Whew>! Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you take that class for two years... And then you're done. You don't take it anymore. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense to me. So again, back to that a little bit. The other one is rhythm, and I I love rhythm. I use all kinds of gadgets. I have my beat box right here. I have my drum beats on my mm-hmm. application on my phone. I'll play Petrushka with a disco beat all day long. All and mm-hmm. the guys look at me like I'm completely nuts, but I can play that piece. Mm-hmm. And I had trouble, with, that's one of the pieces I had trouble with when I was an early grad student. Couldn't play the piece well, couldn't. And then uh, I think it was Mike Ewald, he threw it on his beatbox, put a mm-hmm. disco beat on. I couldn't never get it fast enough, never had a problem with it after that. It was just because I played in big bands and such that that, that just changed my mind over it. Just I, something flipped, and then I was able to play it. Mm-hmm. So anyway, rhythm, sight singing are very important intonations in
0: mm-hmm.
1: now intonation what what i mean by that playing in tune all i'm trying to get at is when i use a box that to be in tune is the byproduct i'm using in tune to find the center that's an efficiency thing that mm-hmm. you're talking about when i mike sachs introduced a lot of this to me and man that just changed the whole world it changed everything how the instrument flow how the air flowed through uh, how the sound will blossom, where the sound sounds best. Obviously in the center, but just getting to that point and learning where your where the notes are on every horn. Mm-hmm. You know that's that's our thing. When I go try a trumpet, you know I play three or four scales and I know right away.
0: <laughs> yep,
1: it's not got anything to do. Wait, with if you
0: try a trumpet, <laughs> you don't find the double A. <laughs> a-
1: well, a- I mean a- that's a-, a nice little feature. Yeah, yeah. but but, yeah. but honestly, I, mean, I play a. A D E and E flat or yeah. an F scale, and I know immediately yeah. if this horn's any good, but because of the evenness of what I'm hearing, and my mm-hmm. ear training has as such, that I know oh that note. That, I don't even have to look at the box. I know. Sure. I, it's not. It's just. Sure. It's a. It's not a. It's not even a feel thing. It's just a. Uh, it's just how the sound develops. You know how mm-hmm. it how it how it, how, it, how it sounds. You know sure. truly. Sure. So. Uh, You're never gonna find a trumpet that plays perfectly in tune, probably. But there's obviously the more expensive ones probably do. Mm-hmm. But we got to know where those problems are, and and more importantly, how can we make them sound good out in the room? Projections is another one of my big things. I love, uh, and of course, you don't use that all the time, but um, but in an orchestra, you do. That
0: sounds got to travel. Mm-hmm. Even the softest, soft, got to travel. Has to get out there.
1: Got to travel. So I think that way. I, you hear my office right now, this is one of the reasons you see where I'm at. My windows are wide open mm-hmm. because this is confining to me. It's not a small office, but it's confining mm-hmm. for a trumpet player. Mm-hmm. We think down, We think the guy in the back of the room. Yep. Yep. So it's it's got to be that way.
0: It's got to be that way. Reese, this has been <laughs> wonderful uh, to sit and chat with you. Um, anything you want to add to this like uh, any any word of wisdom for
1: for a younger guy maybe
0: and, sure um,
1: stay the path It's a long road mm-hmm. that's what I'll say mm-hmm. it's not it's not an easy road there's definitely been rocky areas of my career there's been times where there's things I couldn't do at all um, and I had to figure out why. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, I question myself about this kind of things a lot. But I always knew what I wanted, you know. Um, to get where I'm at right now is taking a tremendous amount of perseverance mm-hmm. and a tremendous amount of practice time and hard work. But just changing my mind about how to do it mm-hmm. was a big one, I think. So I think that's one thing. What we think, well, he just gave me everything I need to know about playing the trumpet. No, I just gave you 30 minutes Mm-hmm. or whatever long we've been mm-hmm. talking mm-hmm. it's not one package it's there's so many facets right. and I think it, that's where you got the growth mindset that's where it comes from being positive that's the other thing too we get really down trumpet is very jealous instrument it has to have it has to have it I do take some time off occasion, but I don't take much off because mm-hmm. of the demands I have mm-hmm. um, that's the thing it's just you gotta work hard yeah you gotta think yeah Yeah, work hard
0: that's terrific thank you so much for your time today I appreciate it my pleasure thanks Larry well that wraps up today's interview thanks for being here I know your time is valuable, as is mine, and I'm grateful that you spent some of that listening to this podcast. Please visit Apple Podcast and leave a rating and a review. And if you'd like to support the show financially and receive some cool benefits, you can find out how at patreon.com slash studio HFL. Thanks again to my show sponsors, Messina Covers, Hammond Design, Pickett Blackburn, Eastman Winds, S.E. Shires, Austin Custom Brass, and Chop Saver. I'm Larry Powell, your host. Thanks again for being here. See you next time. This has been a production of Powell Music, LLC let see. You.